The Alabama Crops Report podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Alabama Crops Report podcast. I'm Dr. Amanda Shear, an extension plant pathologist, one of your hosts today, and our other host is Dr. Scott Graham, an extension entomologist. How are you doing, Scott? I'm good, Amanda. How are you doing? Doing good, enjoying some of this nice weather. You know, it's May 1st as we're recording today. Planting season's in full swing, really, for a lot of crops. Some corn's already in the ground. So today, we actually have our a guest for the first time, Kent Stanford. He is an associate extension professor and extension specialist focused on nutrient management. He's actually located at the Sand Mountain Research and Extension Center in Crossville, Alabama. How are you doing today, Kent? I'm doing great. Happy to be on with you. And as I mentioned, since you're a first-time guest, we kind of put you in the hot seat a little bit and let our listeners kind of get to know you. And we ask you to kind of provide a fun fact about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm originally from Pineapple, Alabama, down in South Alabama, East Wilcox County. And I guess the fun fact about me today would be that uh, I'm an auctioneer uh, also on the side. When I say on the side, I do benefit auctions, uh, help out some youth programs, benefit auctions, things like that um, as part of my community service. So I'm happy to be on today and look forward to our conversation. We're happy to have you and hopefully you don't talk too fast, you know, with your auctioneer background there, but I think you'll do just fine. I don't know how much you've listened to our podcast so far over the last couple of seasons, but we've actually had Dr. Rishi Prasad on previously to talk about some of his research on how row crop producers can use poultry litter in row crops. And I know that's your main topic that you want to kind of discuss today. Um, but for some of our new listeners that may not really be aware of some of that previous research, can you just first give us some general background information on, you know, what exactly is poultry litter? Poultry litter, and primarily we would be talking about broiler litter coming out of the uh, the houses where they're raising these birds uh, for consumption. Um, that litter is typically going to be about a 332 uh, nutrient content. Uh, that's kind of the book value that we go with. And over the last several years, and when I say several years, probably the last 10 years, we've seen a dramatic increase and, and maybe shift in the use of litter uh, with much more litter going on to row crop production fields, where in the past, traditionally, the vast majority of it uh, would be going on pastures and hay fields on forage crops. And so over the course of time, a lot of these growers that uh, have used litter have seen the long-term benefits of its use and that combined with uh, high fertilizer prices have have really driven up demand on litter. So as we talk through things today, um, I'll try to address some of the practical considerations uh, for folks uh, to be aware of, uh, especially for those that are maybe considering its use for the first time. So kind of following up on that last statement there, do you just want to give us a general update on poultry litter as a fertilizer option for this spring and for producers using it the first time? There's a, there's a lot of advantages to, to using litter. I mean, obviously, they're buying it primarily for the nutrient content. And, and we get focused there, and it's easy to put dollar values uh, on that from a nutrient content. But I think over the course of time, we probably don't talk enough about uh, all these additional benefits that we receive. Uh, Obviously, we're applying organic matter, so we see an increase uh, in soil organic matter content, an increase in microbial activity. You know, that higher organic matter content helps with water holding capacity and availability on these soils. So all these other benefits are harder to to put a dollar figure on. Uh, But for those guys that are are in the business longer term, they certainly start to 
to reap the benefits, especially in year three, four, and five after that initial uh, application. But a lot of people don't realize that uh, even though we've got lots of uh, poultry production in our state um, and, and really in, in the vast majority of our state, there's a lot of litter in houses, but that doesn't mean it's available always the week that the guys need it. So one of the, the big headaches then is, is actually in logistics, having a supplier lined up, knowing where it's coming from, knowing when it will be available, trying to coordinate that with crop needs. And that's probably one of the most significant challenges with it. The other point would be that if, if you're accustomed to spreading commercial fertilizer, you know, our application rates there are going to be in pounds per acre. But with a litter application, the application rate is going to be much higher. We're talking about tons per acre, typically two to three tons um, might be a rate that we would see in row crop production. So we've got to move a lot more of it. Uh, it's more time consuming because of the, uh, the higher rates. Uh, so there, there requires a whole lot more coordination uh, for those growers. How does it vary, Kent, from year to year in terms of how much nutrients you're getting out of it? All right, so that's a great question, and, and I guess the way I would describe it, and, and this kind of follows up with uh, the research that Dr. Prasad is doing that we see coming out of his lab, uh, the P and K is going to be available, you know, that first year, and it will certainly build in the soil. Um, what we typically would see or, or what we would um, encourage guys to think about would be on the nitrogen side of things because we have so many people that are doing a fantastic job of no-till, um, they're making a broadcast application on the surface. We're not incorporating uh, this into, uh, into the soil. So we do have more nitrogen loss through volatilization. I would typically tell guys to count on about 50% uh, of that available nitrogen uh, in the first year, uh, and then a smaller percentage moving forward. Um, I think it's critical that these guys understand nutrient management, that they've got a, a solid nutrient management plan and they talk through that, they understand where they are as far as, um, you know, their soil, have a current soil test report and understand what they need. Um, but it, it's certainly a, a very, very uh, valid option uh, for many growers across the state. And you said 50% the first year and then less after that. Now, does that mean we're, we apply it every year though, correct? Right. So if you were working through your nutrient management plan, and, and let's just say that, um, Based on your timing, if you're not an, an early uh, season planting kind of guy, if you're planting later and the soil temperatures have warmed up and then you've got, uh, you know, our, our ambient temperatures are much warmer, we're going to see an increase in volatilization rates. And so if we, if we lost 50% of it, uh, excuse me, if we had 50% of it available in that first year uh, and then we, we had a loss there and we will have some amount of loss, it's highly variable, uh, depending on upon lots of different uh, reasons there. Um, but in year two, three, and four, we would see very small percentages or amounts, but you would have some that would become available over time as mineralization occurs. You really have to get down to the field level almost at that point, I think, to do a, a very accurate job of trying to understand exactly how much uh, might be available long term. And along those same lines, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges uh, with litter is the, the nutrient variability. And through some of Dr. Prasad's research and the work that he's done, uh, we've seen a wide range of, uh, of nutrient content um, as we evaluate litter. So we might be using a book value of 332 on NP and K, 
but in actuality, it could it could vary quite a bit from there. So we certainly uh, would recommend that people get uh, any litter that they are considering purchasing, get it tested, uh, get a sample run so you can determine exactly what you're buying and get the correct application rate. And you can you can send those samples to us, Corral or Extension, correct? That's right. We uh, we like to get those samples uh, whenever possible that can be run through Dr. Prasad's lab. He's got a, uh, a high-tech lab that he runs things through. And also you can send that to the soil testing lab and get a manure analysis uh, or fertilizer content or fertilizer analysis run uh, through the lab there at the Alpha Services building as well. Are there any particular crops that respond better or worse to uh, poultry litter? Are they all pretty much the same? Or It's a great question. And the way I would, would answer it would be like this. It's so dependent upon the field uh, and the soil and what you're starting out with. Um, that's one of the discussions that I have with these growers sometimes is, you know, it might mean more to a grower that's got some uh, low, lowly fertile soil that has some pretty sorry ground that he's trying to work on. It might be higher value to him because he might see a greater increase, yield increase versus a grower that's doing a really good job or he's got some really good ground that, uh, that the fertility is pretty high on. So it's a tough question to ask. It's hard to make a generalization on that. Frequently what we are seeing, uh, especially in North Alabama, uh, are some of the folks that are going out and using litter um, and no commercial fertilizer uh, on soybeans. You know, seems to work pretty well in that system uh, and they're getting by with, uh, with no additional uh, fertilizer, commercial fertilizer um, in some cases. So it, it's, it's highly dependent, I think, uh, Dr. Graham, upon the field and, uh, and the crop to be able to really decide uh, what's the best fit. Is there any specific like best management practices in terms of tillage practices um, and other issues that may or cover crops that may affect, you know, the ability of poultry litter to really be a good option? Yeah, so I, I guess I would address the question this way. The, the best management practices that, that I see are, are most critical. Uh, we'll start with, with transportation and storage maybe before it's applied. So because of the, uh, the consideration of, of being able to get it when you can, sourcing it when you can, uh, some people uh, may need to do temporary field storage. And that is an approved best management practice. And NRCS has a uh, a practice in place to help with that or to explain the, the ins and outs of it. Uh, but I tell guys to buy it when you can, store it properly, which includes covering it up. You want to pick a, a well-drained site so you're not trying to get on any wetter ground. You want to get a well-drained site and cover it up. It, it takes a little work to do that, but then you've got it staged in that field ready to go so you can get your application timing done when you need it. Uh, particularly as you approach planting time. So I think the storage um, BMP is, is very critical there. As far as the application goes at that point, then uh, one of the most important things we need to understand is that we do have rules and regulations that, that determine where you can apply it. And so buffers and setbacks uh, must be observed when making any application of animal manure. And we would want to uh, be sure that we follow those buffers and setbacks. That includes 25 feet off property lines, 50 feet on either side of a water source. There are some other buffers and all those are available on our website at aces.edu if you search for nutrient management. And so it's important that, uh, that those growers understand what those buffers and setbacks are 
and what the spreadable acres then are for each field. Uh, so if they've got those calculated and they make sure they're not applying in the wrong places. Once we get that done, it, it really comes down to uh, the timing of that application. And the NRCS Nutrient Management Standard 590 uh, says there uh, that no, no nitrogen sources should, should be applied more than 30 days prior to the planned planting date. And that fits right with uh, Dr. Prasad's research that is showing uh, when most of that nitrogen is going to be available uh, from that litter application. So those would be the main points, I think, under BMPs. You've hit on a couple of times about, you know, trying to source it, find it, that kind of stuff. What's availability looking like so far this year? Again, I guess I would say it, it depends. So let me, let me answer the question this way. The growers, um, you know, that are, are in the, the poultry, the contract poultry business, uh, many of them are on a, a clean-out schedule that, uh, that may involve several years uh, between clean-outs. And so it, it might seem somewhat random uh, when they would be cleaning out. And so they're primarily uh, concerned, obviously, with growing of the birds and, and secondarily with, you know, trying to, to clean out houses and, and deal with litter. So what I suggest to people is talk to any growers around you if you're trying to source directly from a grower. If there is a vendor that is, uh, is spreading litter or a vendor that is hauling litter that is, you know, kind of... Uh, the go-between guy, the middleman, reach out to those folks well in advance. Um, there's a lot of litter that is produced and is available, but unfortunately, everybody kind of wants it at the same time. And so uh, you need to get on the list early enough that you're closer to the top of the list. Many years ago, we used to think that we couldn't haul it very far. Uh, but when fertilizer prices start to hit $1,000 a ton or so, uh, we realize that uh, we can afford to move it. And especially for those growers that have lower quality uh, soil um, and need that, uh, that benefit of the organic matter, it makes a lot of sense to be able to move it. You mentioned cost there of, you know, the more traditional commercialized fertilizers. You know, we've seen, you know, huge price increases, especially the last couple of years. Um, how would poultry litter kind of compare for cost wise? I mean, you mentioned all the additional benefits, but a direct cost to producers. Yeah, I, I think we frequently get that question, you know, where someone will say, well, what's, what's it worth? You know, what's litter worth? And, and so we can make that comparison, you know, very easily between an average book value um, and commercial fertilizer prices if you had to go buy those same nutrients as commercial fertilizer. And, and, and when we do that, that's the number that gets everyone's attention. So right now that number, you know, those nutrients in that ton of litter are probably just over $100 a ton. Uh, there's a couple of different ways to calculate that, uh, but if we value all of those, uh, those nutrients, all of that N, P, and K, um, you know, let's just say it, it's worth $100 a ton for our purposes today. Well, I doubt very seriously anybody's paying $100 a ton for any litter. If so, that's a world record and we would get lots of attention. Uh, in actuality, they're probably paying more like 50 or $60 a ton as a spread price. Um, and maybe that is litter that's been hauled some distance. I mean, obviously, diesel fuel still costs a lot. So there's some added cost or some increased cost on transportation. So if, if you can buy it for $50 a ton and the nutrients are worth $100 a ton, there you go. You've just got a 50% savings. And then we haven't even talked about uh, the micronutrients as well as, you know, what you might be seeing on the organic matter side. So the, the, the financial piece is, is very important. 
I would say, generally speaking, litter is, is going to be priced at, at a third to a half of, of what the nutrient content uh, might be valued at compared to commercial prices. Well, that sounds like a, uh, especially, you know, in the last couple of years we've experienced, that sounds like a pretty good deal. It, it really is. And, and I, again, I think that the guys that use it for multiple years, they start to see uh, after about that third year, they start to see some significant uh, yield increases. And I frequently will have someone to share with me that after three years or so of, of using litter, you know, they may be seeing 10 to 12 bushel increase on soybeans. Well, you know, that starts to add up obviously very quickly. And, and so that's why we encourage guys to have a long-term plan. Think about the fields that they're farming and, and especially on rented land, how many years they're going to be farming that and try to, uh, try to use that litter where they're going to get the greatest uh, impact. You know, if that's on some land that they own, obviously maybe that, that would take priority over rented land. And then those fields that are lowly fertile, that uh, we're trying to, to build some soil fertility and build organic matter in, that's probably where you'll see the most bang. This may show my lack of, of knowledge on the, the topic, but as far as spreading it, are we using a similar rig that folks are using spreading uh, you know, normal fertilizer or is it something different? Or are these farmers doing it themselves? Or are they contracting it out through their co-ops or retail? Or What you're seeing there is, is there's probably not a, a, a retail farm supply store that's got a poultry litter spreader. So they are, it, it's the same design or similar design. It's got a wider track in there. And so they are specifically designed for spreading litter. So you would have to have one for that. What we've seen uh, really over the last 10 years is an increase in the number of farmers that have their own spreaders. Some have built larger spreaders than, than what they could, uh, could buy commercially. Uh, but there's some, some really good manufacturers out there that put out a quality product. Part of the reason I think many of the farmers are investing in their own spreaders is they've learned that, uh, that if they've got it stored on site and they have their own spreader, they can get the, the application timing down that works for them and they're not dependent upon someone else to come in. Uh, but there are people out there that do this for a living, that clean out houses, uh, that haul litter, uh, that some that just transport litter, some that just spread litter. So there's a, there's a, significant number of people out there that offer those services. Sounds like an investment that can pay for itself pretty quick, especially when you consider the logistics of trying to go out and source the litter. And then, you know, if everybody's trying to spread at the same time, if you can spread it yourself, that, that probably pays for it pretty quick. Absolutely. And, and for a lot of the guys that, you know, are, are accustomed to having larger equipment, you know, that have large tractors, you know, that can pull spreaders that hold, you know, lots of tons. So for instance, maybe the standard spreader truck that most poultry farmers might have would have a 14 or a 16 foot bed that would hold five, six tons of litter. Well, the row crop guys may get a tag along, uh, a buggy style spreader that would hold 10 tons. Okay, so they can can increase, you know, the size of the spreader because they've got something big enough to pull it. Um, and then they can get across maybe some wetter ground because they've got tractors that will handle that better than a truck would. So um, I, I'm seeing an increase, I think, in the number of guys that are, are handling their own at this point. It really sounds like if they can get it when it's available and just store it and then spread it themselves, they'll see a really great benefit there. 
Uh, you know, Kent, this has been a really great podcast episode. I think our listeners got a lot of good information. Do you have any final words of wisdom, you know, going into 2023? Well, I think at this point, I mean, obviously, uh, we're, we're kind of in the middle of planning, I guess, here on, on May the 1st. So uh, for those guys that maybe uh, have not been able to get it sourced for this year and, and, and they realize it's something they want to do in advance, go ahead and have those conversations, you know, and be thinking ahead. Uh, this is a this is a great product, lots of it available, but it does require a lot of, uh, of, of planning ahead, well in advance, and then developing those relationships uh, with the suppliers. Uh, the final point that I would leave our listeners with is this. It's also important to understand that those rules and regulations are there to protect you as the landowner and the guy that's doing the, uh, the spreading uh, as we make every effort to protect water quality. And so neighborly relations are important. And so thinking about the timing of those applications, uh, I always tell people, avoid those weekends before the neighbor has a wedding in their backyard, for instance. Uh, we still want to be good neighbors to those around us. Uh, but at the same time, it's an opportunity for us to have discussions with them about uh, the practices that we're doing on our places. So if anybody has any questions, they're welcome to, uh, to get on our website at aces.edu and look for nutrient management. There's some record keeping forms on there. And also search for me. I'm Kent Stanford, and uh, you're welcome to reach out to me and be happy to help anyone I can. All right. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that information. Again, we'd like to thank all of our listeners uh, for listening to every episode. And if you have any topics you'd like to hear us to discuss, please uh, reach out and let us know. And, and for anything else, of course, please don't hesitate to let us know if we can help in any way possible. So be looking for another episode soon. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.